0: Now the reason I got you to do that is because I will barely make it to my office and my phone will ring and Steve will say, how did it go? And I'm going to say, Steve, you're not going to believe this. They gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> Steve will be back tomorrow. Well, today we continue our study from the Sermon on the Mount and we've come to the fifth Beatitude. The first four the attitudes deal with our inner attitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So I begin by recognizing my spiritual poverty. The second is blessed are those who mourn. As a result of my condition, then I mourn. And then he said blessed are the meek or the gentle. As a result of that, I become humbled And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, because of my condition, then I begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I recognize my spiritual poverty. I mourn as a result of it. I become humbled as a result of that. And I begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the last four Beatitudes deal with my response to those first four. Or it is the result of the first four. For instance, I recognize my poverty, I am spiritually poor, as a result of that I become merciful to other people. Because I understand my spiritual poverty, I understand that you also are spiritually poor, so as a result of that I extend mercy to you. And then, blessed are those who mourn. I recognize my spiritual poverty. I mourn because of it, and now that I am committed to purity, I want to have a pure heart. And then the third is, blessed are those who are meek or those who are humble. Now, when I am meek or when I am humble, then I become a peacemaker, because only those who are humble can actually be peacemakers. And then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because I begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, because I want to live a righteous life, then I am persecuted by those who do not understand. We live in a world of people who do not understand. Those people who are committed to godliness, who are committed to righteousness, and so then they want to persecute those people who are committed to to righteousness. So you see, the first four Beatitudes then give to us these internal attitudes, and the last four are our response to these first four. All right, now take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Our focus is in verse number 7. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down... His disciples came to Him, and opening His mouth, He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." William Barclay wrote, "...even as it stands, this is surely a great saying, and it is the statement of a principle which runs all through the New Testament." All right, we are dealing with mercy today, and many believe that mercy is a natural virtue, that mercy comes naturally. There are those who believe that, that if I am merciful, then I receive mercy. That, that mercy begets mercy. And that was the teaching of the Jewish rabbis. They believed that if one were merciful to others, then they would respond with mercy to them. And we find that with many people today. I'm sure that some of you believe the same thing. That it is a natural response. That if someone is merciful to you, then you are merciful to them and vice versa. In fact, I often see it incorporated into our foreign policy and some of the laws that we establish within our nation. The idea that if we are merciful, then others are going to be merciful in response. For instance... If we are nice to Muslim extremists, then they'll stop blowing things up. And my question that I would ask is, and how's that working out for you? But I'm not going to ask that question. Instead, I want to pose a question for you. If mercy begets mercy, then why is there child abuse? There is no one more merciful, there is no one more trusting. There is no one more innocent than is a child, and yet oftentimes children are abused by those who are not merciful. You see, when we begin to think that this is a natural virtue, we believe that it is natural that if I give mercy, then I receive mercy, and that was Jewish thought. But others uh, say, no, mercy does not beget mercy. Mercy begets abuse. And that was Roman thought. There was one Roman philosopher who said that mercy was the disease of the soul. So the Romans believed then that mercy was a sign of weakness, therefore they were not merciful. Roman families were not merciful. When a child was born into a Roman family, the father determined if the child were to live or to die. If the father gave a thumbs up, the child lived. If the father gave a thumbs down, the child was drowned. So there was not that mercy within the Roman family. They saw it as weakness. There was not great mercy within the citizenship of the Romans. In fact, it was legally acceptable for a master to kill his slave if he so desired. The system was not merciful. It was the Roman system that nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus never did anything other than extend mercy, but the system was without mercy. So, mercy is not a natural virtue. It is a supernatural virtue. Albert Barnes wrote, Nowhere do we imitate God more than in showing mercy. Nowhere do we imitate God more, not you, but God more, than in showing mercy. The word merciful comes from the Greek word eleimon, from which we get "eleemosynary," which means benefactor. Barclay wrote, the Hebrew word for mercy is an untranslatable word. It does not mean only to sympathize with a person in the popular sense of the term. It does not mean simply to feel sorry for someone in trouble. Mercy means the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. Mercy comes from God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 17, He had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So mercy then comes from Christ, our merciful high priest. Mercy comes from God. It is a supernatural virtue. Mercy is more than forgiveness, though it carries with it the idea of forgiveness. The Bible says in Titus 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us according to His mercy. So forgiveness, then, is the result of mercy. So if forgiveness is the result of mercy, then mercy is more than forgiveness. But, Mercy is less than love. Now, love produces mercy because the Scripture says in Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. So, it is love that produces mercy, but love is greater than mercy. I say, well, why do you say that? Mercy presupposes a problem. Someone commits a crime, and they desire mercy. There is no need for mercy unless there's a problem. So, mercy then presupposes that there is a problem before it is needed and before it is extended. Love, on the other hand, requires no problem. I can extend love to you without a problem. It is not necessary to have a problem to love Therefore, love is greater than mercy. It is different than grace. Sometimes we put the two of them together, mercy and grace, and see them as pretty much the same, but they are not the same. Grace eliminates sin. The Scripture says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. Alright, we all are sinners, and our sin is eliminated by grace Mercy, on the other hand, eliminates the consequence of my sin. Mercy eliminates the punishment of my sin. So, mercy then means, I don't get what I deserve, which is hell. Grace means, I get what I don't deserve, which is heaven. So, mercy and grace are not the same. Mercy is one with justice. Now, God is loving and kind, but He is also just and holy. See, a lot of times whenever we talk about God, we want to think about God. We only want to think about Him in terms of loving. I hear people all the time, God is loving. I don't believe that a loving God would allow anyone to go to hell and so forth. Now, you're only seeing half the coin, one side of the coin. Because on the other side, God is loving. No question about it. On the other side of the coin, however, the Bible tells us that God is holy. And God is just. And His holiness has to be satisfied. God loves you, but He is also by His nature a holy God. God is holy, holy, holy. And His holiness must be satisfied. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That was the reason that Jesus went to the cross to die. You know, when Jesus... Died on the cross, and he said, it is finished. That is the word tetelestai. It's an Aramaic word. Tetelestai means it's paid. What was paid? Our sin. God's holiness had to be satisfied. And so when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says that all of my sins were put on Him. All of your sins were put on Him. Therefore, He paid for all our sins, satisfying the holiness of God. Thus, He can extend mercy and grace to us. The Scripture says in 1 John 4, 10, In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. W. Vines wrote, through the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, he who believes upon him is by God's own act delivered from justly deserved wrath and comes under the covenant of grace. You see, God is loving, but God is holy. He extends love to us, but His holiness must be satisfied. And that was the reason it was necessary for Jesus to die, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid for our sins when He died on the cross. As a result of Him paying for our sins, He can extend to us mercy, and we receive God's mercy as a result of what He did. So it is a supernatural virtue, not a natural virtue. God is merciful. The Bible says in Romans 9, 16, So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Would you agree with me concerning that, that God is merciful? This means yes. Would you agree? God is merciful. Okay? If God is merciful then those who know God should be merciful also. Does that make sense? If my Father is merciful, then as His child, I too should be merciful. So God is merciful, and He extends mercy to us. I've got a lot of pages here, and I just lost one of them. I feel like Adam and Eve. (laughs) I can give you examples of those in the Scripture who were merciful. Joseph was merciful. You you recall the story about Joseph, how he he was sold into slavery by his brothers. But then he responded to his brothers in mercy. When he said to them, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and he extended mercy to them. Moses was merciful. His sister Miriam spoke against him. And as a result of her criticizing Moses, the Bible says that God cursed her with leprosy. How did Moses respond to that? He prayed after God, Oh God, heal her, I pray. So he was merciful. David was merciful. Saul tried on many occasions to take the life of David. There were those times when David could have taken the life of Saul. He did not, but instead he extended mercy. In 1 Samuel chapter 24 verse 6, David said, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. But do you see David's mercy? Saul had tried to kill him, and David had opportunity to kill Saul. He did not. Instead, he extended mercy to him. If we know the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, then we also are to be merciful because He is merciful. John MacArthur wrote, For those of us who have received mercy, how could we be anything but merciful? That's a good question. If I have received the mercy of God, how can I be then anything other than merciful? So the source of mercy is supernatural. It is not a natural virtue. It is a supernatural virtue. Well, what is the standard of mercy? How do we extend mercy? Well, what does it look like when we extend it? Relationally... If I'm to extend mercy relationally to you, what does it look like? Well, it means that I minister to the needs of people. If I am a merciful person and I'm extending mercy to you, that means then that I minister to the needs of people. St. Augustine was known for his mercy. In fact, he would invite people who had no place to dine to his home to dine with them. And uh, he had engraved, however, on the top of his table, Whoever loves another's name to blast, this table's not for him, so let him fast. If I am merciful, what does it look like? Well, it means then that I minister to the needs of other people, which is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, when he said that if you give... A cup of water to someone who is thirsty, if you give food to someone who is hungry, if you minister to others, then you are what? You are ministering to me. If you give a cup of water to someone else, then you're giving a cup of water to me. Now, now the question that comes to our mind. We say, okay, we feed the hungry, we clothe the naked, we provide all these things. But won't people take advantage of me? If I do that, won't people take advantage? And the answer is probably they will. But that's what mercy is. It is extended to those who do not deserve it. That's what mercy is. And so, what does it look like? If I am merciful, relationally it means that I minister to the needs of others that I do not hold a grudge. David could have held a grudge against Saul because of the way that Saul treated him when David was only trying to be loyal to the king. He could have held a grudge. He did not because that would not have been merciful. Joseph could have been held a grudge against his brothers the way that they sold him into slavery, the way that they did him. He could have held a grudge against them. He did not. Because that would not have been merciful. We don't hold a grudge. We don't retaliate. Look at verse number 39 in chapter number 5. Jesus said, I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, that verse actually is not... A pacifist verse, as it's oftentimes translated. We'll look at that at another time. As we go later in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll look at it from that angle. It is not a pacifist verse, but we don't retaliate. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, what did he do for those who nailed him to the cross? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So he prayed for them. When Stephen was being stoned by those who stoned him, what did Stephen do? Stephen prayed for them. So, what does it mean then to be merciful? It means that I don't retaliate. So, relationally, I am to minister to people. I don't hold a grudge. I don't retaliate. That's what it looks like relationally. But it also has a spiritual element. Mercy has a spiritual element. It means that I am concerned for the salvation of other people. If I am merciful, then I am concerned for the salvation of others. Augustine said, if I weep, For the body from which the soul is departed, should I not weep for the soul from which God is departed? John MacArthur wrote, If I was given mercy and pity from God's great heart, but did not let that same mercy flow to others, what kind of consistency would that be? So if I then am merciful, it has a spiritual element that I am concerned for those who are lost, and therefore I confront them with the gospel of Christ. That's a part of mercy. If I have the mercy of which Jesus speaks... That I am concerned for those who do not know Him and I confront them with the Gospel. Now, I want to emphasize that to you and I want you to hear this because, ladies and gentlemen, we have just about lost our evangelistic commitment. And I think there's some reasons for that. Theologically, I think that we no longer have that passion for the lost because we have become universalist. We believe that everybody's going to go to heaven. We don't know how it's going to work out, but I just believe that everybody will go to heaven. And that is a heretical theology. The Bible does not teach that. And another reason is because I think of political correctness. You see, we are told over and over again today that if you say to a person that this is what I believe, this is my religion, I believe that salvation is in Jesus Christ and Him alone, and one must come to Christ to be saved, then there is an outcry from that because you are being intolerant. That is an intolerant statement. And you are saying that your religion is superior to someone else's or that their religion is inferior to your religion. And because we don't want to be perceived as intolerant, then we say nothing. Here's the problem that burdens me about that. If I believe what I say that I believe, and I've, I've said this to uh, uh, friends of mine who are, who are not Christian friends, who might be from a, a, a different religious faith, And I know that they believe differently than I. But my response to them has been, if I believe what I say that I believe, and that's that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross to save us, and that He is the only way of salvation, and I do not at least share that with you, then what kind of friend am I? See, I I don't get that. If I believe what I say that I believe, that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, that there truly is a heaven, there truly is a hell, if I believe that, and I know someone does not believe that and I do not share that, then what kind of friend am I? What kind of Christian am I? To be merciful means that I am concerned, legitimately concerned, For those who are without Christ, to the extent that I am willing to confront them with the claims of the gospel. Now, I know that I can't make them a believer. That's not my responsibility. That is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. But it is my responsibility to share the truth. The sequence of mercy, because it is circuitous. God is merciful. We've already agreed on that much. God is merciful. Now, we we see his mercy extended to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Religion stood on the sidelines with rocks in their hands, ready to stone the woman. But Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he extended mercy. Paul persecuted the church before he became a believer. But Jesus extended mercy to him. And he extends mercy to us. All right. so God then extends mercy to us then I extend mercy to others. That's the way that it works. I am, I am like a river, not a reservoir. I don't just receive it and hoard it. But God gives mercy to me. Now then, I give mercy to others. It has been said that the Christian army is the uh, only army that shoots its own wounded. Well... There could be some validity in that, but that is not a response to mercy. See, as a believer, I am to respond to the lost person with mercy that I confront them with the gospel of Christ. And I am also to extend mercy to believers who have fallen. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? It's easy to extend mercy to the one who is lost, but what about a believer who has fallen? I am to be merciful to that one as well. Because the Scripture says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Folks, when I see a fellow believer who has fallen, my response ought not be to gossip. My response ought to be to restore. That I am to extend mercy to this one to restore them to a fellowship with the Lord. So, God then is merciful. He extends mercy to me. I extend mercy to others. And what happens? Then God gives me more mercy. Look at verse 7 again. Blessed are the merciful. What? For they shall receive mercy. That's the way that it works. God is merciful. He extends mercy to me. I extend mercy to you. And God gives me more mercy. That is His promise. So it is circuitous. As I give, I receive. Let me conclude. As I go through the Beatitudes, the thing that I notice is that a person comes to that place in their life when he or she recognizes their spiritual condition, that I'm a spiritual beggar, that I can't save myself, and I mourn as a result of it. And when I come to the place where I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness and commit my life to the Lord, what happens? Now then, I want to extend His mercy to others. I want others to know of Jesus. Today, there are some of you who probably need the grace of God. And God's grace saves us from sin. And you probably need the mercy of God, which removes the penalty of sin. If you have never come to know Jesus Christ, He extends His mercy to you if you will receive it. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation, asking, Lord, that the Holy Spirit move in our midst. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for for your grace. And I pray, Lord, for those who desperately today need a touch of your grace and mercy. May they come to Christ in whose name I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we stand. The choir sings. The staff is standing here to receive you if you're without Christ. Would you come today committing your life to Jesus? You're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. You come. Stand with me, please, as we sing. You come. I'll greet you. you should do.